proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? So, uh, it was kind of a surprise when Blair called me, and, uh, but a great honor and privilege to be able to come and open up God's word. And, and so this, as we know, is just another part of our worship of Christ. And, and so we're really gonna be talking about that all morning, worship. Uh, worshiping God rightly and as he deserves. Um, I'll tell you, as, as I've been preparing for this, I kind of say it jokingly, but not really. I've been praying that God would make me a useful donkey, right? And I don't know if you've seen how the donkeys are used, but um, we talked about it as, as a triumphal entry. He rode on a donkey, and the donkey was just there to lift him up so people could see him and make much of him. And that's my prayer this morning as we get into God's word. We're going to be in Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. It's a wonderful passage um, about worship. And so uh, I'm just going to jump in. We're going to read through it, and then we'll unpack it. It says, And it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I said I was going to read all the way through, but I'm going to stop really quick right there because this is an important marker. Uh, And Mark does this quite often. He, He gives us a very important marker to let us know exactly where this is. So this is the last week, the Passion Week, uh, as Christ has entered on Palm Sunday. Um, This would place us at basically Wednesday of that week, right before the Passover feast, before he is betrayed. And, And so it helps us to understand where we are in his story to better understand what God's word is telling us in that. So I just want to point that out as, as we look at what the Passover is, the importance of what he's doing in this. It says uh, that it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus' head. Now there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you'll not always have me. She has done what she could. We'll come back to that. That's important. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in her memory. And praise God, we're doing that right now. And it continues. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give him money 
and he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. It's kind of a heavy way to end that passage, um, but it's important to see what this is all about, and this passage is all about worship, and the one we should worship, the worthy one, Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that. For my note takers, if, if, if you've got to have like the big point, here's the big point. Can you hear me? Um, the big point is Jesus is the only one worthy of our passionate worship, our unashamed worship, right? You see it out on the wall. What is that? What does that look like? And it's, it's, it's something beautiful that we should give Jesus. And what we see is you would think the beginning and the end aren't really about worship, right? It's talking about the chief priests and the scribes. It's talking about Judas and his betrayal. But in essence, it is worship. It's just falsely focused. It's, it's focused on the wrong thing. It's focused on self. It's focused on pride. It's focused on all those things, uh, the desires in our heart when we're not submitted to Christ, right? So it's still worship because you have to know whatever you're doing you were made to worship, so you're going to worship something, right? But we want it to be Christ because he's the only one worthy. So when we look, uh, we see these chief priests and scribes, what are they worshiping as they, they seek to betray Jesus, to kill him, to get him out of the way? And really what they're worshiping is they, they're worshiping their position, their power, their influence, really their wealth, and, and Judas falls into that, right? Um, they're, they're seeking to, to worship the influence they have, the attention they get. And I'll tell you, if we're not very careful, we fall into that trap, and we fall into it pretty easy, right? We come out of here on Sunday, and hopefully the message has touched us and, 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 and done something in our heart, and, and we're working and we're striving towards Christ, and then our heart just kind of twists on us, and midweek we start wanting attention, and, and really what that, that self-worship is, is we are stealing glory and stealing worship that belongs to Christ and Christ alone because he's the only one worthy of it. And so we're, we're, we're worship thieves. All right? and, and, and it's funny that if you uh, run the parallel passage to this, uh, and I don't know if you guys know that, but in the Gospels, there's often same events uh, that are talked about in different passages, and so this same event is talked about in John 12, and in there, it, it actually expands on uh, Judas a little bit, and in this passage, it says, they said this could be sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor, and what John tells us is, is it was actually Judas who said that, and then it goes on to say, he wasn't concerned about the poor, but he was a thief. And he controlled the money bag. And so it was for his own good that he wanted that. Right? And so we don't want to be worship thieves. We don't want to change it to be about us. And so first, we have to know what is false worship, right? To be careful and not fall into that trap so that we can worship rightly. And we can worship Christ who is worthy. And so Mark's technique, his stylistic technique as he writes this, and we've seen this in other passages as we've gone through this series, right? He has something at the beginning of a passage and an end that are the same, and then there's something sandwiched in the middle. They're bookends, 
with something in the middle. And it's actually to draw attention to what's in the middle. And so we have the betrayal and the seeking to betray Jesus on the ends and the self-worship, but it's to point us to the middle of that passage. And the middle of the passage is about what? It's about a woman worshiping rightly. And so there's a few things that it points out as, as it talks about this woman, um, and we're going to focus in on these two things today. What does right worship look like? What, how should we worship? Right? We are to worship fully and freely. And we're going to talk about how she displays that this morning. So a little background, it, it comes in, it talks about them being at Simon the leper's house. Um, probably not still a leper, but Simon was a pretty common name, so we had to give him an identifier. Um, you know, so it's Simon the leper. And, and what we can probably assume is that Jesus healed him, right? And, and so they're having a celebration at, at Simon the leper's house. And, and I don't know about you if you get that invitation, hey, come to Simon the leper's house. I'm like, eh, I don't know, right? <laughs> But they're having a celebration. It says that they're reclining at table. So they've already come in and they've gone through the custom of what would happen. They would come in and get their feet washed and they'd be anointed with some fragrant oil, some perfume, right? And then they would recline. And it says that during that time, as they were reclining, a woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And, and and if we look over to John 12, it, it identifies that woman as Mary. Now, I know there's a lot of Marys. Um, this is Mary of Bethany. This is Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead, the sister of Martha. And um, so she comes in, and she has this flask. Now, I know some of you, none of you ever had a flask, but a little flask, right? We think of that. Or we think of a vial of perfume, like a little thing of perfume. But uh, if, if we take those two accounts again from John in here, we, it says that it was a pound of nard. I don't know if you've ever, like, what's a liquid pound? They're thinking it's probably about 10 to 12 ounces. So it's a, it's a pretty large container. And it says it was worth 300 denarii if they sold it. So a denarii is one day's wages. So they're talking about something that's worth a year's salary. Now I want you to put that into perspective. Like, think about what do you make in a year, and if you had something that was worth that, are you willing in an act of worship to pour it all out, to give it all away to Christ? It kind of puts things into perspective, right? So we're not talking about a little thing of, uh, you know, whatever your favorite smell good stuff is, perfume, cologne, whatever. It's not that. This is, this is a, an important thing to her family. And it's three ways that it's very important to her, all right? We talked financially, the, the worth, the financial worth of it, how much it cost, right? And, and so there's that aspect, but we already said she, she's there. She's living with her brother and sister. So she's probably not married, either had been widowed or never been married. Um, my guess is that she's never been married. She has this. Um, and it was probably a, an heirloom, a family heirloom passed down to her. It may have been 
for her dowry. Um, so there's a lot of sentimental value to this. So it's, it's worth a lot of money, but it's also something very personal, very sentimental that she has. And, and then uh, there's a custom, like uh, there's a, uh, a custom that they would do, we just talked about it, was that you would come into these celebrations and, and somebody would wash your feet, usually a servant or the, the youngest person in the house or the lowest person, and, and they would wash your feet and then they would anoint you with a couple drops of some fragrant oil, some, some perfume. And why did they do it? Because they stink, all right? They didn't get to just run and grab a shower every once in a while, so they're walking around in, in heat, they're sweating. Uh, just imagine that. And, and they come into a celebration, and they're going to eat. You guys ever went into a restaurant and sat, and you could smell somebody close to you, and you're like, whew, let me uh, give them a little, a little dab of oil, make them smell good. Right? But in that, they would still only give a couple drops. Right? So this was financially important. This was sentimentally important. It was socially important right? Because this is something that they would, in a big celebration, bring and drop on somebody, anoint them. So to counter the odor with a wonderful fragrance, right? And, and that would make it so much more enjoyable to eat with him. So she takes this, and it doesn't say that she anoints him, like with a drop or two. It doesn't say she, she gave him a little, but she breaks it, and in that act of breaking that flask and pouring all of it out, well, she's holding nothing back. She's not saying, I'll save some for later. She's not saying, I'll give him a measure of it, but I'm going to keep some because it's important to me. In that moment of pure worship, a pure, deep, devoted love, she pours it all out, everything she has, onto Jesus. And that is full worship. She is worshiping fully. She is not holding anything back. And so, as I was getting ready, um, this is a pretty convicting passage, and I started thinking, am I holding back from Christ when I worship? <coughs> and, and when I look at the things about that, in financially, am I holding back from Christ financially and I know you know we we give and we give out of the abundance that he's given us we give uh back to him our first fruits and we're supposed to give joyfully but am I giving as an act of worship when I think of a, a year's salary now I'm not telling you to go and give a year's salary but I want you to think of what that what that did in her heart her heart was fully open her heart was holding nothing back from Christ and she was given what she had financially, sentimentally, those, those things that uh, we might hold back. You know, God, I'll worship you in this moment, but there's this thing that happened in my life and I can't really worship you here, right? And there's a sentimental aspect to our worship and then socially, um, and, and the social part kind of leads us into the next point of, of worshiping freely but I'm going to make a distinction. Fully is coming from the inside, from our heart, pouring out everything we have, not holding back from Christ. Where I think freely really has to do with what's around us, right? What's around us? What's, what's pressing in? What are we worried about? And so um, she's giving this 
act of worship fully and freely. And I think sometimes we hold back on the freely because we're concerned about what's going to happen, what somebody's going to say. We don't want to look weird, right? So here's, here's a picture uh, and, and an easy one since we're all here this morning and we've been singing. And sometimes the Spirit of God moves on us and what do we want to do? We want to throw up our hands in surrender and devotion and love and we want to sing out as loud as we can. And when that comes on us, we go, oh, but I don't want anybody to see me, so my hands are going to stay down here. And I don't want to sing too loud, because what if I sing the wrong word? Or I sing in that dead space that I always do. I don't know if you ever catch that. <laughs> I'm that guy, like, oh, oh, no. look around, right? And what I'm doing in that moment is, is, again, I'm stealing worship from Christ because I'm so worried about what's around me. I'm so worried about my social appearance. You know? um, and so as we look at how we worship freely, we've got to put those two passages together. You know, we see that she's there. She's pouring out this ointment. She's anointing Christ um, but in John, it also says that, that she let her hair down and was wiping his feet with it. And so when we take that full picture, she's there worshiping. And do you think she heard the indignant talk around her? Do you think she heard the grumbling and complaining about the way she was worshiping? Yeah. Thankfully, she didn't stop she kept pouring out her worship. Do you think she was aware of what people thought? I don't know if you understand the cultural setting, but women wouldn't come in during the meal unless it was to serve. And here she is interrupting this celebration to worship. And, and letting down her hair, this is something that's very intimate. It's a very intimate act in that culture. Letting down your hair would only be done in front of her husband which also points to the beauty of that is that Jesus is her true husband. He's our true husband. And so she's letting down her hair and, and they're talking. What kind of woman is this? And I want you to understand that these aren't a bunch of lost people around her. This is the disciples. This is the church. And we gotta be very careful in our heart that as we are worshiping, we're not looking around and saying, you see how that person, like, what are they doing? Like, don't look over here on a Sunday morning and look at me, because sometimes I might just be fully abandoned in it and go, hmm, what's going on there, right? We need to be able to worship fully and freely. And that freedom is... is it comes from Christ. It comes from focusing in on the one true worthy thing that we can worship. All right? Eyes up here, eyes up here. <laughs> All right. Um, it, is, it is focusing on the worthy one, no matter what's going on around you. <laughs> Lifting up Jesus and, and putting him on high right? And, and why is he worthy? Right. 
there's some clues in here that are very important. And we need to know this. He, Jesus himself tells us. He says that she did what she could and she prepared me ahead of time for burial. She's anointed me ahead of time. And, and if you miss it, that's just Jesus saying, look, I'm going to the cross. And in Ephesians 5, 2 it actually says he, he was a fragrant offering. Do you think he was, he, he was fragrant? No showers, right? She just dumped a ton of this stuff on him. He probably still had that smell lingering as he went to the cross for us. He's worthy. But even in that, he takes a moment to pick her out and say, look, she did what she could. And this language is very similar as we think about uh, a few weeks back when we talked about the widow, the widow's might as she went and, and she made her offering at the temple and she dropped in those two small coins. She did what she could. And her offering was small. And this offering was, was worth a lot of money, but it was the same in his eyes. They did what they could. They poured out everything they had. So we don't want to lose sight of that. And, and she was told, everyone was told, this will be talked about. This act of worship talked about. We're doing it this morning. Churches all over throughout history have talked about this woman's act of worship. And it's that important to Christ. The poor, of course he cared about the poor. He fed the poor, he healed the poor, he looked after them, it was a huge part of his ministry and in here he says, you'll always have them, do good for them. But can you if you haven't worshiped the one true God? Or does that good that we do kind of go into that other category of worship, that self-worship, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Right? If, if we're to serve, if we're to uh, do anything, we need to worship Christ first so that it puts everything into the right perspective. He is worthy of all that we have. So it says that she anointed him before the burial, and this is, is a key to pointing forward. It says in here about the Passover, and, and, and we need to look at that in context because all of it's pointing to what he's getting ready to do in two days. And this is part of his worthiness. He is worthy for who he is. And he's worthy for what he has done. He's worthy because he is God, the God-man. Come down to be with us. And we're going to talk about all of the fullness of that in a moment. But he's also worthy for what he did. And what he did was pointed to from the first Passover. What did they tell the Israelites? They said, take a spotless lamb, one without blemish, and, and, and kill it, slay it, and take that blood and wipe it on the wood around your door. And the angel of death will pass over and not take your firstborn. And that was just saying, hey, there's somebody coming. This is a moment of salvation for Israel, but there's somebody coming who's gonna pay for permanent salvation for all who believe. 
And what he did was he took that fragrant offering and he submitted himself to punishment and he went on a cross and his blood poured out. The blood of the Lamb of God, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God and it flowed on that wood that covers us and paid the price for our sin. That's why he's worthy. And I want you guys to go out of here today with a picture of how worthy he is, how beautiful he should be in our eyes, because I don't think we think about it enough. I think we go and we say these words, but I don't think they touch our heart as often as they should. He is worthy of all our worship. So I don't know where you're at this morning, and and there are people um, who've never heard the gospel and never take for granted that somebody knows the truth of it. And so I'm just going to tell you why he's the worthy one. From before creation, he was there. Not one thing was created without him, it says in John 1. He is the creator God with the Father, with the Spirit. That dust that they formed us out of, he breathed life into us. We lived in perfect union the way it was supposed to be in worship of God in his creation, not worshiping the creation, but God. And then what do we do? Just like the Pharisees, just like the chief priests, the scribes, just like Judas, we wanted to steal worship. We thought, he, maybe he's holding something back from me. Maybe he's, he's not giving me all that I deserve, and we took. And that sin that entered the world rippled through the entire world, rippled through not only breaking the, the relationship between man and God, but breaking every single aspect of the creation. And it continued. And that seed of sin was planted in each of Adam's children, that is you and me. And it continued down and got worse. And we see around us brokenness. But God. He had a plan from the beginning. The father had the plan. The son submitted to his father in in worship. And he came down not as God walking as he could and should, but he came down into the mess that we had created out of his creation. He came down as a baby, flesh and blood, the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And guess what? All those desires that are in our heart, all those things we seek after that are aside from him, those temptations were still there for him. And that's a beautiful thing. He was tempted yet did not sin. The life we are called to live that we can't, he did. He lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live and failed. And then he died. He went to the cross. His blood poured out for us to cover our sin. And the death we deserved for our sin, the wrath of God poured out, but not on us, onto Jesus. He's worthy. 
poured out the wrath of God that I deserve, that we all deserve. And he took it and he went to the grave and he defeated sin and death for us. And he rose again. And that is a beautiful thing. In rising again, we know that everything he said was true. Everything he said is true. And he is worthy. And he is God. And he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is interceding for us daily, moment to moment. He's saying, there, that one's mine. That one's mine. And we have a hope, and we just talked about this, this hope, his imminent return, not as a baby, but in his full glory, that all would see who he truly is. The hope of the worthy one coming back in his glory. And when he comes, there'll be no doubt, nobody is gonna worship anything else. They will worship, every knee will bow, and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ is Lord. And I hope that he is Lord of your life this morning. And if he is not, I hope the Holy Spirit is, is drawing you to that. And you see his beauty, and you see his worth. And if he is the Lord of your life, but something convicted you this morning about being a, being a worship thief, or holding back in certain areas, I, I pray that you will turn that over to him. That when we feel weird, when we feel like maybe I shouldn't talk about Jesus in this setting, that, that we will turn our eyes to him. I'll tell you, even in the church, I've had somebody say, aren't you taking this Jesus thing a little seriously? You talk about him all the time. I don't wanna talk about anything else. Because when I do, I've taken my eyes off of him who is worthy. All right. So I'm gonna have the band come back up and I'm gonna pray for y'all and um, we are gonna make much of God the rest of our time together. So Father in heaven, we love you. We are amazed at your son, Jesus. Let us look on him the way he deserves. Let us, let us really capture his beauty and his worth to a point where our heart is changed that every time we think about him, we want to pour out our worship on him. That all our efforts all our time, our talents, our treasures, everything we will pour out for him and not hold anything back. He is the worthy one, the lamb without blemish. He has taken our place. Let us come under his headship, his lordship. Let us submit ourselves to him and lift him where he deserves to be high and made much of. So this morning, let our hearts sing out. Let our arms go up to the sky and surrender to the one worthy of all.